gentlemen, internet land dwellers, rebletikins, democrips, and all the delegations, welcome to the Chronicles of Cool. Channel, Channel. Well, black delegation, looks like the democrips have pulled another fast one on us, and it seems as if it's working. Here's my seven cents. I can share and subscribe. This is out of the NewYorkTimes.com. It was early in Joseph R. Biden Jr.'s vice presidential search when he asked his advisors a sensitive question about Senator Kamala Harris. He kept hearing so much private criticism of her from other California Democrats. He wanted to know, is she simply unpopular in her home state? Advisors assured Mr. Biden that was not the case. Ms. Harris had her share of Democratic rivals and detractors in the world of California politics, but among regular voters, her standing was solid. Mr. Biden's query and the quiet attacks that prompted it helped begin a delicate audition for Ms. Harris that has never before been revealed in depth. Though Ms. Harris was seen from the start as a front runner, Mr. Biden did not begin the process with a favorite in mind, and he settled on Ms. Harris only after an exhaustive review that forged new political alliances, deepened existing rivalries, and further elevated a cohort of women as leaders in the party. Well, I guess you have to do that given your allegations, right? Ms. Harris was one of four finalists for the job, along with Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, and Susan E. Rice, the former National Security Advisor. But in the eyes of Mr. Biden and his advisors, Ms. Harris alone covered every one of the essential political needs. Other candidates rose and faded in the process. Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois powerfully impressed Mr. Biden's search team, but his lawyers feared she would face challenges to her eligibility because of the circumstances of her birth overseas. Well, you had Obama, right? In the end, Mr. Biden embraced Ms. Harris as a partner for reasons that were both pragmatic and personal. A sign of how the former vice president who was oriented towards seeking consensus and building broad coalitions might be expected to govern. Indeed, Mr. Biden has already told allies he hopes a number of the other vice presidential contenders will join his administration in other roles. So who are the running mates we have in Biden and Harris? Biden, a.k.a. Creepy Joe, otherwise known as the sniffer. <laughs> Peep this article out. This is out of the intelligencer. Will black voters still love Biden when they remember who he was? Creepy Joe Biden once called state mandated school integration, quote, the most racist concept you can come up with. And Barack Obama, quote, the first sort of mainstream African-American who is articulate and bright and clean. End quote. Hey, he's neither of those. He's not African-American. Do your research, Biden. He was a staunch opponent of forced busing in the 1970s and leading crusader for mass incarceration throughout the 80s and 90s. Peep it. Uncle Joe has described African-American felons as, quote, predators, too sociopathic to rehabilitate. Whether Biden can retain that support after voters learn more about his problematic past could very well determine the outcome of the party's primary race. To explore that question, let's pick through the former vice president's hefty baggage on racial justice. Biden helped kill the most effective policy for improving black educational attainment that America has ever known. Joe Biden was for desegregating America's schools until his constituents were against it. 
When the Delaware Democrat launched his first campaign for Senate in 1972, the Supreme Court had just ruled that the Constitution required policymakers to pursue, quote, the greatest possible degree of actual desegregation and that forcing white students to attend schools in black neighborhoods and vice versa was a legitimate means of doing so. Being an enlightened liberal, Biden began his candidacy as an advocate for such policies. He accused Republicans of demagoguing the busing issue and appealing to white voters' ugliest instincts. The nominee of the Democratic Party has chosen Kamala Harris, California senator and a former rival for the Democratic Party nomination to run with him against President Trump and Mike Pence. Uh, the two have uh, a, a long history together uh, and Kamala Harris also has demonstrated that she can fight in particular against Joe Biden. She is 55 years old. She was elected to the Senate in 2016 and now stands on the edge of a major, major move in, in her life and in the nation's life. She's a historic choice the first black American, the first uh, American of Indian descent to be named to a major party ticket. This is out of the Daily Beast. Kamala Harris Attorney General Office tried to keep inmates locked up for cheap labor. Ordered to reduce the population of California's overcrowded prisons, lawyers from then California Attorney General Kamala Harris's office made the case that some nonviolent offenders needed to stay incarcerated or else the prison system would lose a source of cheap labor. Think about that. Think about that. In 2011, the Supreme Court ruled in Brown versus Plata that California's prisons were so overcrowded that they violated the Constitution's prohibition of cruel and unusual punishment. Three years later, in early 2014, the state was ordered to allow nonviolent second-time offenders who have served half of their sentence to be eligible for parole. By September 2014, plaintiffs in the class action lawsuit were back in court, accusing California of slow walking the process, which lawyers for Harris's office denied. Of course, according to court filings, lawyers for the state said California met benchmarks and argued that if certain potential parolees were given a faster track out of prison, it would negatively affect the prison's labor programs, including one that allowed certain inmates to fight California's wildfires for about $2 a day. That's eight quarters. That's eight quarters. Quote, extending two for one credits to all minimum custody inmates at this time would severely impact fire camp participation. A dangerous outcome while California was in the middle of a difficult fire season and severe drought. Lawyers for Harris wrote in the filing, noting that the fire camp program required physical fitness in addition to a level of clearance that allowed the felon to be off site. Not only that, they noted draining the prisons of minimum custody inmates would deplete the labor force both internally and in local communities where low level nonviolent offenders work for pennies on the dollar collecting trash and tending to parks. A federal three-judge panel ordered both sides to confer about the plaintiff's demands, and the state agreed to extend the two-for-one credits to all eligible minimum security prisoners. Quote, Once we ridiculed and flagged them for that, they changed their tune. But that was their initial response, Donald Spector, executive director of prison law office and lead counsel on Brown v. Plata said. 
Harris, for her part, told BuzzFeed News two months after the arguments were made on her behalf that she was shocked by the argument, telling the publication she was looking into it. That's what they do when they ain't got answers for somebody questioning them. They say, we'll look into it. And you have to stay on their ass because if you don't, they won't look into it. Politics. Harris's presidential campaign said she took action. As she said at the time, Senator Harris was shocked and troubled by the use of this argument. She looked into it and directed the department's attorneys to not make that argument again, said spokesman Ian Sams. Quote, her office on behalf of the state corrections department then came to the table with the plaintiff's representatives to negotiate an agreement, which the court subsequently approved that led to an expansion of the two for one credits. The incident is just a small part of Harris's long career as a prosecutor, which has drawn scrutiny from Democrats and activists who describe her as a latecomer to the social justice movement. Of course, she's not Ados. She's an Indian Jamaican woman, immigrant from out there who went to school in Canada. I got to take it there. But let me continue. As far as I know, she did very little, if anything, to improve the criminal justice system when she was attorney general. Specter said the way I look at it is she was really late to the party and more importantly when she had the authority to do something as attorney general she was absent he said I'm very skeptical of her views of criminal justice at this point she basically carried on the policies of her predecessor for the most part in battling us on getting the prison population down and anything else that government wanted to do to prevent prison conditions from improving. I tell you today that black Americans in America, ADOS black Americans better get nimble and get nimble fast because this democratic party that you built is basically casting you to the side while giving you an optical illusion that they are here for you and making you believe it through a black girl magic that don't make no magic. She got a Jamaican father and she got an Indian mother, Brahmin Indian, which is the most elite that oppresses the other groups. They are oppressing Dalit Indians today in Silicon Valley, today in America. So what makes you think that all of the truancy laws and everything else isn't tied into the caste system? I need you to understand what I'm talking about. Okay, so she got the Indian mother and she got the Jamaican dad. Through the Jamaican dad, you come through a pipeline of blackness to anchor her into Fannie Lou Hamer and Ados. Makes no sense, but okay. But in addition, the Jamaican father, she admitted one of the most powerful lines of her whole campaign last night, and it was subtle. She said the Jamaican dad, after five years old, wasn't really around. So that means from five until adult age, she was raised Indian. I don't want to hear nothing about strollers and nothing else. I want to know about the French school in Canada that you went to junior high that spoke all French, no English. I want to know about the Westmount uh, Calgary school that you went to for high school in Canada. I want to know about the truancy laws with Charade Peoples. I want to know about Matrice Richardson and why you didn't investigate. I don't want to know about no Divine Nine and no AKA. Yeah, so we not done with Kamali yet. Uh-uh, not by a long shot. Um, I'm going to take this to the Guardian real quick. Kamala Harris laughed about jailing parents over truancy, but it's not funny. For progressives, 
There are good reasons to be suspicious of the idea that former prosecutors make good politicians. The United States has the highest incarceration rate in the world and its criminal punishment system disproportionately punishes poor people and people of color. Prosecutors have a leading role in sustaining this injustice in part because they tend to view prisons as the solutions to the social problems. That worldview is fully on display in a recently unearthed video footage of Kamala Harris defending her decision to criminally prosecute parents for their children's truancy. In the video, taken at the Commonwealth Club in 2010 when Harris was district attorney of San Francisco, Harris says that because, quote, a child going without an education is tantamount to a crime, she decided to treat parents with absentee children as criminals. Peep it. I would not be standing here were it not for the education I received. And I know many of, many of us will say the same thing. And I believe a child going without an education is tantamount to a crime. Damn. So I decided I was going to start prosecuting parents for truancy. Well, this was a little controversial in San Francisco. <laughs> Where's the joke? And frankly, my staff went bananas. They were very concerned. As they didn't should. I know at the time whether I was going to have an opponent in my re-election race. Mm -hmm. You will now. And I said, look, I'm done. This is a serious issue, and I've got a little political capital, and I'm going to spend some of it. And this is what we did. We recognized that in that initiative, as a prosecutor in law enforcement, I have a huge stick. The school district has got a carrot. Let's work in tandem around our collective objective and goal, which is to get those kids in school. So, to that end, on my letterhead, now let me tell you something about my letterhead. When you're the DA of a major city in this country, usually the job comes with a badge. And, subscribe. and there is often an artistic rendering of said badge on your stationery. So, I sent a letter out on my letterhead to every parent in the school district, outlining the connection that was statistically proven between elementary school truancy, high school dropouts, who will become a victim of crime, and who will become a perpetrator of crime. We sent it out to everyone. A friend of mine actually called me and he said, Kamala, my wife got the letter. She freaked out. She brought all the kids into the living room, held up the letter, said, if you don't go to school, Kamala's going to put you and me in jail. Yes, we achieved intended effect. Harris cheerfully recounts the story of sending an attorney from her office to intimidate a homeless mother, a homeless single mother, whose children were missing from school. She smiles as she recalls how she instructed her subordinates to, quote, look really mean so that the mother would take the threat of jail seriously. Wow. In separate footage, Harris mocks those on the left who say things like, build schools not jails wow and put more money into education not prisons suggesting they are naive sloganeers who do not understand crime prevention she she real aggressive with it harris looked at the problem of perpetual truancy and believed she ought to start locking up parents a humane progressive looks at the problem and asks why do absences actually occur Truancy occurs disproportionately among children whose parents are poor, less educated, 
and among children who don't feel safe at school, who have to work or support their families, who have mental and physical health issues, and who are in unstable living situations. It's a social reality. Reparations for black people. Well, listen, again, we had over 200 years of slavery. Bruh. We had Jim Crow for almost a, a, a century. We had legalized discrimination, segregation, and now we have it, it, le segregation and discrimination that is not legal but still exists and is a barrier to progress. We have disparities around housing. We have disparities around education. We have disparities around income. Do you support reparations for black people? And we have to recognize that everybody did not start out on an equal footing in this country. Give people who are making $100,000 or less as a family a tax credit, which will benefit and uplift 60% of black families who are in poverty. So by default, it affects black families, but there's not a particular policy for African Americans that you would support. But no, if you look at the, the reality of who will benefit from certain policies, the reality also is this. Any policy that will benefit black people will benefit all of society. Let's be clear about that. Let's really be clear about that. So I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm going to do something that's only going to benefit black people. No. Bruh. And this is the human costs of Kamala Harris's war on truancy. I can share and subscribe. The, quote, progressive prosecutor wanted to transform how California responded to students missing school. Parents like Cherie Peoples wound up paying a hefty price. On the morning of April 18, 2013, in the Los Angeles suburb of Buena Park, a throng of photographers positioned themselves on the street curb and watched as two police officers entered a squat townhouse. Minutes later, their cameras began clicking. The officers had re-emerged with a worried-looking woman in pajamas and handcuffs, and the photographers were jostling to capture her every step. Quote, you would swear I had killed somebody, the woman Cherie Peoples said in a recent interview. In fact, Peoples had been arrested for her daughter's spotty school attendance record under a truancy law that then-California Attorney General Kamala Harris had personally championed in the state legislature. The law, enacted in January 2011, made it a criminal misdemeanor for parents to allow kids in kindergarten through the eighth grade to miss more than 10% of school days without a valid excuse. People's 11-year-old daughter Shayla had missed 20 days so far that school year. The law was the capstone of Harris's years-long campaign to get, quote, tough on truancy. Preventing truancy, she argued, was not just about the noble goal of ensuring every child's education, but a matter of averting future criminals. Harris filed charges against a handful of San Francisco parents whose elementary school-aged children were consistently missing school. A few years later, she persuaded the state legislature to adopt harsher penalties for truancy. Under the new law, the parent or guardian of a young truant child could face a fine of $2,500 or more, or one year in jail. Harris pushed hard for the law as she was running for attorney general, and it passed just as she won the election. Quote, we are putting parents on notice. Wow, check her out. Harris said at her 2011 inauguration, quote, if you fail in your responsibility to your kids, we are going to work 
to make sure you face the full force and consequences of the law. Damn. Well, all right. And I believe within this truancy law, um, Miss Cherie Peoples, her daughter also suffered a stroke at 13 with all that stress under this truancy law. On the morning Peoples was arrested, police arrested five other parents, including several in front of waiting news crews as part of what one assistant district attorney painted as an effort to prevent children from, quote, being criminals or joining a gang. The district attorney described people's conduct in unsparing terms, telling local news outlets she had ignored the school's numerous requests for meetings and multiple warnings that Shayla was truant. The defendant was offered counseling and parenting classes. For what, man? Her daughter was obviously sick. The student was provided the opportunity for a mentor through Big Brothers Big Sisters of Orange County, a mentor at school and monthly meetings with law enforcement officers. I mean, why all that, though? Peoples read all this several days later in a state of disbelief. She has a soft manner and voice and has dedicated most of her adult life to caring for Shayla, who has lived with sickle cell anemia, a serious genetic illness that causes her acute pain and requires frequent hospitalization and medical procedures since birth. Shayla frequently missed school because she was in too much pain to leave the house or was hospitalized for long-term care. Her school was aware of these circumstances. It had records on file from the regional children's hospital explaining that Shayla's condition would necessitate unpredictable absences and special education accommodations. Peoples and the school had worked together to set up some of those accommodations, which are required under federal disability law. At the time of her arrest, Peoples claimed she was fighting with the school to get it to agree to additional accommodations under an individualized education plan, which she said the school had rejected. Quote, this is a young woman who spends a lot of her life in the hospital, Peoples said. How is that she's giving off the impression of being a gang member? Why are they coming after me? End quote. Peoples was caught up in the hugely complex forces Harris and her tough-on-truancy stance unleashed more than a decade ago. Harris has since replaced her punitive stance with the message that parents of truant children need help, not scare tactics. Oh, so she's flip-flopping now. In the memoir she released shortly before announcing her candidacy for president, Harris described her work on truancy as, quote, trying to support parents, not punish them. Now, if you go back to recent articles I just read, that's not the tone she, she put out, even the video. That wasn't the tone she put out. Think about it. I guess by now you all are wondering why Cool is putting such an aggressive full court press on Biden and Harris, mainly because of posts like this. And excuse the grammar errors, instead of y'all focusing on Kamala Harris' record from 20 years ago, look at Trump's record from the past four years think that's a weak statement not only is it weak it's the dumbest and most contradicting I've heard thus far but let's break this all the way down when you apply for a job what does the employer look at your resume and which your resume details what your past experience if given that job what does that employer look for next a background check of course so. Now, if this position is in childcare and this candidate shows two sexual harassment charges, would he get hired? Check 
the history, man. I always said, if you know your past and the present, you can fix your future. I found another post from uh, Charlemagne the God, and it reads, Whether you like Kamala or not, the current administration is going to unleash a disgusting and disrespectful attack on her, mainly because she's a black woman. We have to protect her and uplift her as much as possible throughout this campaign. The ancestors told me to tell you this. Continue to question records. Hmm. Continue to demand policy commitments. But remember what we're up against. We got work to do. Hey man, cut that out with the hashtag black leverage. Well, if you decide that you want to join ADOS and let Yvette Carnell and Tone Talks lead the way, then maybe we can get some commitment to our demands of policy. And the ancestors told you, huh? Well, look, let's start from number one. Well, number one, she's not a black woman. She's not a black Ados woman. She may be melanated, but she's Indian and Jamaican. She's not Ados. Two, protect and uplift while she jailed folks, mainly black, and laughed about it. Same one who said, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm not going to do anything specifically for black people. Chicken Joe, is that the ancestor that spoke to you? I found another post off Twitter from Roland Martin. All of these white progressives who are pissed off that Joe Biden chose Kamala Harris as his VP should STFU today. Y'all have no clue what today means to a lot of black women, especially older sisters. The tears of joy are real because the pain has also been real and enduring. I had to make him sound like that because it seems like to me when I look at him, when he did that dancing jig with Hillary, he, to me, he just looks like a dude that farts a lot. The white delegation was not the only ones upset about this pick, bro, bro, farting. Honestly, this is what scares me because the majority of our delegation's voters are women. And some seem moved by the sucker symbolism of having their first black woman in office. Don't fall for this, sisters. Hey, with all that being said, question. When did we get so socially engineered to claim Democrat? aka democrat we have to start thinking outside the box that way of tribalism never worked in our favor in fact it ran folks off <clears throat> me do you feel things progressed over the years or did it get worse sure trump ain't qualified but i can show you more who wasn't bush lied about taxes war on iraq clinton disrespected his power and lied about it pandered with the saxophone little bush 9-11 need i say more obama he gave you Obamacare and then what? More lies and in my opinion, sat on the black delegation's needs and we allowed it because he was our first black president. The sucker symbolism again. But was he our first black president or just an immigrant with an economical backing from his parents? All I would suggest is, yes, do your research on these politicians. Find out their past and see what they think about your agenda and have an agenda. All the other delegations have demands. We should too. What is it? Reparations or we vote down ballot or don't vote at all. What do you mean, cool? What do you mean about that? Well, allow me to explain in a few words. You don't have to vote the lesser of the two evils and be wary of those who do. It is these folks that are sheep to the system. There are other candidates running, so do some research. Why should we, the black delegation, do this? Because it sends two important messages. To the powers that be one we will no longer be pandered for our vote two we mean business reparations or no vote or down ballot vote Channel. 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 who 
is included when you do reparations. That is the people who bear the cost. Those are descendants of American chattel slaves, slavery in this country. So there has to be some economic redistribution to American descendants of slavery. And that's one of the things that's just kind of gotten me in trouble. People are like, oh, well, you're excluding other black people. No, you have to decide. Because it's not just about like experiencing racism. It's about who built the country and who has been kind of bottom casted. There wouldn't be an America without the slaves and we are the descendants of those slaves. And come to think about it, question. So with all these injustices, why would the black vote be protected? I mean, something to think about. If they're going to kill you in cold blood police officers, what would they do with your vote? They don't respect us. They call us the N-word. I mentioned that we are the most hated race on the planet. So why would our vote be counted? Something to think about. My opinion, we have an opportunity to possibly create our own political party the Eidos party led by Antonio Moore and Yvette Carnell. I believe that if the entire black delegation or at least half of the Democrats join Eidos, I believe we can really inflict real change for the black delegation. Yvette once said, and I'm paraphrasing of course, we may not reap the benefits of the work we'll put in for reparations, but the future will seem promising. Can you imagine our future generations not having to deal with none of the current ills that plague us? This is why we need to become more educated or we'll be swayed by posts like this and be moved by political pundits and their sucker symbolism. You don't want that. We don't want that as a party. Demand your reparations. Everybody's bad and everybody's tough, but how many people are intelligent enough to open up your eyes and see through the lies, discipline themselves, yourself to stay alive? Not many. That's why the universe sent me today on this stage with this to say, the richer get richer and the poor get poor. In the final hour, many heads will lose power. What does the rich versus poor really mean? Psychologically, it means you have to pick your team. When someone says the rich gets richer, visualize wealth and put yourself in the picture. The rich gets richer cause they want to enrich. The poor get poor cause they mind can't switch from the ghetto. Let go, it's not a novelty. You can love your neighborhood without loving poverty. Follow me. Every mother, father, son, daughter. There's no reason to fear the new world order. We must order the whole new world to pay us. The new world order and the old state chaos. The big brother watching over you is a lie, you see. Hip-hop could build his own secret society. But first, you and I got to unify, stop the negativity, and control our creativity. The rich getting richer. So why we ain't richer? Could it be we still thinking like niggas? Educate yourselves. Make your worldview bigger. Visualize wealth and put yourself in the picture. Cool, baby, can you dig it? Yeah. On the channel of cool. Like and share and subscribe.